This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. A mother went to church one Sunday, and uh, she looked around in Sunday school, and she noticed her son wasn't there yet. So she called him up on her cell phone, and she asked the question, son, where are you? And he said, well, mom, I'm not sure I'm going to come to church today. And she said, well, why not? Are you sick? And he said, no. Well, why aren't you coming? Well, I, I just don't feel like it. I just don't feel like coming and worshiping God today. And she said, well, son, you've got to come. After all, it's Mother's Day, and, and I expect you to be here. And, and secondly, it's the right thing to do, to worship God. And thirdly, you're the pastor. You have to come. <laughs> so what do you do when you don't feel like worshiping God? What do you do when worship is hard? In this message series, as we talk about worship, we talked last week about who we worship. And next week, we'll talk more about how we worship. But today, we want to really address this real deal, this real reality that there are times when we give up on worship. Or we don't feel like worshiping God when times are hard. It's kind of like a water hose with a kink in it. There's sometimes there's things that are in our spirit. There's things that are not right in our hearts. And, and for, for whatever reason, this sense of flow, this sense of relationship, this connection with God has some kinks in it. So, so what do you do when you don't feel it? And honestly, we all are there at times, and sometimes we can get stuck there. So what do we do when worship's hard? What do we do when life is tough? What do we do when there are not answers to prayer the way that we had hoped? When things are disappointing, what do you do in those times? Habakkuk is uh, a prophet of the Old Testament. Uh, He wrote a book, Habakkuk. And this is, by the way, his uh, senior picture when he was 17 years of age leaving home. We actually don't have a clue what he looks like. But I, I like to pop up a picture there anyway to remind ourselves that this is a real dude. He, had a, he lived a real life. And Habakkuk lived in a time about 600 years before Jesus. And his idea was that when times are tough, the worst thing we can do is repress our complaints. It's not to express our true feelings to God. And so Habakkuk would have a lot of problems with Christians who give their trite answers or their Bible-quoting verses to issues and questions where there are not immediate answers in our lives. Habakkuk has a different approach. You know, it's that tough time when you don't really require an answer or you certainly don't need a shallow, trite response but you might need a hug or you might need a listening ear. In fact, Habakkuk's name means hugger or embracer. So Habakkuk is one of those guys that he stands with the people. You know, some books in the Bible are about God's Word to us. Habakkuk is a book of uncommon prayer. It's a book about how that we are speaking forth our Word to God. And Habakkuk gives room for complaint to God. So today, what we're going to do, we're going to look at three very brief portions of Scripture from this brief Old Testament book. 
And then we're going to look at some of the lessons that we can learn on how we worship when it's hard. The first chapter. Notice how Habakkuk starts his prayer, starts his book. How long, Lord? How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make such... Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked him and the righteous so that justice is perverted. Wow. You ever pray like that? You ever have the courage to talk to God like that? To voice your complaint? Habakkuk is basically saying justice is a joke. Life is incredibly unfair. God, are you really up to the business of being God? I'd like to know. What's going on in Habakkuk's life is, in 600 years before Jesus, the Babylonian Empire has taken over Judah. I mean, the prophecy, the tea leaves, the the signs, the indications are that it is going to happen. And Habakkuk cannot understand how God is going to use this godless nation, Babylon, to bring judgment on his own people. Habakkuk just doesn't give it and doesn't get it. And so what he does is he refuses to quote the scripture or give some kind of platitude. It's not like you look up in the Bible, like you look up a crossword puzzle and you, you get the answer right there and you're good to go. What a horrific misuse of God's Word. No, Habakkuk gives complaint and voice to what the people, what he is feeling as he stands and addresses and complains to God. He kind of resonates with the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 13 that, you know, we live through a time where we look through a dark glass. But there's going to come a day when we see things face to face. And so Habakkuk is challenging God and saying what's on his heart. So here's God's response in chapter 2. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. So God is saying, okay, get your, get your chisel and your stone out or get your computer out. Are you ready to type the message? Here's the answer. Here's my response. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up, his righteous, his desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. So what's God's response? Essentially, keep waiting. That's the only response that God gives. He doesn't give any answers. He says there's going to be an answer, there's going to be a reason, there's going to be a time when the vision comes. Look for it, wait for it, but that's all I got for you right now. That's all that God's got for us right now. You ever been in that time when you have to just keep waiting? And then the book ends, interesting enough, with 
with this prayer. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. So what's, how does the book end? Though, though things are empty right now. Though this is a time that's fruitless in my life. Though there are no easy answers, yet, 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 I will trust you. Yes, I will rejoice in you. Yet I will know that you are my strength. And that's how Habakkuk ends his message to God's people. He really addresses the reality that when worship is hard, when worship is tough, don't come up with some trite response. Own it, be real about it, and talk to God about it. But keep at your worship. A week ago, Friday night, we had Michael Jr., the comedian that was at East Sunshine Church of Christ as our Springfield One churches came together. And it was 80 or 90 minutes of just laugh out loud at this great Christian comedian. And we also, through our ticket sales, raised over $14,000 for Jobs for Life so that uh, our 20 people that have already graduated with Jobs for Life, there can be 20 more that that will pay for, and then some. But Michael Jr. is a comedian with a Christian message that doesn't lay a lot of heavies on people. And yet, he's been transformed in his whole approach as he said that I was changed as a comedian when I realized that I wasn't there to get laughs. I was there to give laughs. I'm not there to get you or get anything from you. I'm there to give laughter to you. What a difference worship will be when you and I understand what Michael Jr. That, that life is not about us getting. Or worship is not about, okay, I'm going to come to church today to see what I can get out of it. It's what, do, what do we give? What do we give? What do we put into it? And what is worship about? Is it about me? Or is it about God? It's about what I can offer to God. And I think God is most pleased when we show up in our private closet, in our times throughout the day, as well as in corporate worship, when we don't feel it. When, frankly, things are kind of empty right now. Or we're disappointed in life about something. God is pleased most when we lean into Him. And we learn that when we're at the end of our resources, there's a strength that God has for us. So, what do we do when worship is hard? Well, we, we keep at it. We keep going. Rilke is a scholar, a writer, who, who writes Rainer Rilke, I want to beg you to be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart. 
and to try to love the questions themselves like locked rooms and like books that are written in a very foreign tongue. Do not seek the answers now. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. Live the questions. Live the mystery. Don't look for false answers. But, but don't give up. Keep at it. Keep at worshiping God. Keep at being honest. Keep at keeping it real. Mike Evans is a, a pastor. He's an author. He now leads a lot of seminars on prayer and healing. I love him because he's a real guy. He's kind of a squirrely kind of a guy. And I love those kind of people. Uh, there's nothing fake about Mike Evans. And he's had this amazing prayer ministry. Uh, one of the books that several of you have read of his is Wasting Time with Jesus. And some of us went to a prayer seminar about 10 years ago in Tulsa. And this guy was one of the first guys that really taught me that you can really listen to the Holy Spirit in directing your prayers. And this guy has amazing healing prayer ministry. I've seen him in action. But recently I read a blog of his where he says for the last 20 years in his life, he has been in chronic pain himself. From a ski injury, his pain is constant. It never goes away. Sometimes it's more elevated than other times. But here is this guy who God uses his hands to bring healing to other people, and he is suffering continuously himself. He says there's two things that I learned from that. Number one, I learned that I can be empathizer. I can empathize with people who are in chronic pain. I don't think God caused the pain. I don't think God wants me to have this pain. But I can empathize with people who have pain. And secondly, I understand there's all kinds of different reasons why I might not be healed of my pain. There's a lot of spiritual warfare goes on. He doesn't come up with a trite answer. But what Mike Evans is doing is he's keeps, he keeps at it. You know when God is pleased with us? It's when we've been wounded, when we've been hurt, when we feel empty, when we don't feel like going on. And whatever the responsibilities we have in our life, in parenting, in showing up for the job, in being a good neighbor, in serving somebody that's kind of a jerk in our life, God is really honored and blessed when we do that as an offering for him. We, we, we keep at it. We're honest. That's what Mike Evan teaches me. And then uh, one final word that uh, we, keep, we keep open. The Chinese use a combination of two characters in their honesty about a crisis. In the way they describe the word crisis, they, they use characters that describe danger and opportunity. In our honesty before God, when we're going through a crisis, a crisis is when we're up against it, a crisis is something that happens that has the nature of an emergency, a crisis is when we're pulling all our resources together, we don't know what to do. There's those crises, there's those little crises we go through each day, and there's the big crisis in life. There's a danger when we go through a crisis, and a crisis is we, we get hard in our spirit, and we panic, and we give up, or we give in. That's the danger. But there's also the opportunity. It's an opportunity for us in a crisis 
in a problem, to go deep into the resources of the God that lives inside of us and let God shape and make us more and more into what God wants us to be. John Powell uh, says these words, that the most destructive thing we can do in passing through periods of crises is to attempt to downplay these legitimate doubts and encourage their repression. Repressed doubts have a high rate of resurrection, and doubts that are plowed under will only grow new roots. So we don't repress what we're feeling. We don't repress our complaints. We don't bury or stuff inside of us what's bothering us, what we're upset about. But we let those things give voice and we express those things even to God. It was Jesus who prays on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now there's a theological reason why some people give for Jesus praying that prayer. That he was bearing the sins of the people, sins of the world, and God cannot look at his son while he's carrying the sins of the world. God can't look on sin, so God turned his back on Jesus. If you have that perspective, I respect you, but I do not agree with that. I don't think there's any way that God turned his back on his son, Jesus Christ. I think God was there with Jesus on the cross. And as Jesus keeps praying his prayers to God, he's not talking to somebody that's not listening. Because Jesus just keeps right on talking to his Father. I think Jesus prays this prayer, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he feels it. He feels forsaken. It's like a little child saying, Daddy, don't leave me. Jesus is quoting from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the way the prayer begins. That's why so many prayers in the Bible start out with a complaint, with a why question, with a how long question. Jesus is setting the example for all of us to express what we're really feeling and thinking. But the sweet thing is, it's like Jesus is saying, Daddy, I could use a hug right now. And I think that the Father embraced His Son. And I think He embraces us. That, that we have a God in Jesus Christ who is sympathetic with our weaknesses and our temptations. Who understands what it's like to be fully human. Who learned the tough stuff and the way to be obedient to God through the things that He suffered who with loud tears and sobs cried out his prayers to God. This is all Scripture. I'm not making this up. And that's what you and I are invited to do. When we don't feel like it, we get to release this stuff to God. You know, Mother's Day is a, is a, is a wonderful day. It's a day of celebration. It's also a day of, of pain. For a lot of people. For a lot of different reasons. And we've provided this morning an insert in your bulletin. I invite you to take that out. I'd like for us just to take a moment 
And to read that together this morning as a litany because it expresses again the reality that whatever we're feeling, whatever we're saying, we can express this as a community of faith to God. So I invite you to read the italic words as we read responsively the wide continuum of mothering. To those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes and prods and tears and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who lived through driving tests and medical tests and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, We mourn that life has not turned out the way you long for it to be. To those who step-parent, we walk with you through these complex paths. To those who envision lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. To those who place children up for adoption, We commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart. And we have real warriors in our midst. We remember you. God is a, is a God that understands the, the pain of parenthood. And He stands with us. And we as a community need to emulate that sensitivity and that care ourselves. So what do we do when we worship? When worship is hard. We keep at it. We're honest. We keep our hearts open. There's a story in the Bible, in the New Testament, where Jesus is healing a man. And as Jesus uh, is healing this man, uh, Jesus asks him the question, Do you believe? And the man says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Do you remember how Jesus responds to that? Does he berate the man? Nah. What Jesus does is he says, He keeps healing him. 
And he does bring healing in his life. Jesus honors the honest expression of faith and doubt. This morning, that's, that's what we can all do. When times are tough, we can be honest with God. We can be honest with each other. We can strive to encourage each other during the tough times. We don't have all the answers, but we can keep at it. This morning, we are creating a, a prayer wall. And those of you who are in Renovate, I ask you to, to also hold up your block of wood. And we're going to ask you to, in a few moments, to write your own prayers to God. Before we do that, I want to point your attention to the cross that's in our sanctuary. It's just been added. That cross was created by Aaron Holum for our Good Friday service. And ceramic tiles were brought at our Good Friday service where everyone in worship that night brought a couple of pieces of glass, a tile. And the first shard piece represented a wound, a hurt that was going on in your life. And the second piece represented a time where God used that hurt, used that wound to help somebody else out. And so Kristen Strong took those tiles and created this beautiful cross. And in the cross you'll find the crown of thorns. You'll find the place where his hands and his feet are wounded. You'll find a place where the blood is present. You'll find the place where the sword pierced his side. You'll also find a, a stone represents the, the rock that we need to give up where we place our unforgiving spirit at the feet of Jesus that we did as a congregation a couple of weeks ago. That cross is going to be surrounded by our blocks of wood, just like it is in our outreach center. And just as in our outreach center, we're going to ask you to write on your block of wood, and, and please listen, we want you to write on the rough side. Okay? We want you to write on the rough side because it's the rough side that's going to be inserted toward the wall. No one will see that prayer. That prayer is between you and God. And the beautiful side will be a part of the prayer wall that we create as a congregation. I invite you now to pass the Sharpies that's in your pews. So there's Sharpies at each end of the pews. And uh, hopefully everyone has access to a Sharpie. If we're a little bit short, there you go, sir. All right. Um, Got more Sharpies over here. What we want to do is invite you to write your prayers. And here's what I suggest. Write, write an honest prayer. Write a sincere prayer. Write about what's really on your spirit. Think about Habakkuk's prayer. How did he start praying? He prayed, how long? <laughs> so maybe you've got to ask, how long? How long, O Lord? Or Why? Or what's next? Or, or though, though this is happening in my life, or though this is not happening in my life, then you might want to express, yet I will, I will what? I will do what? More than anything, we want you to write 
a prayer that's honest and real to God. This is, this is a way in which you can express your petition, your, your uh, suffering, your hope, your dreams, your disappointments, whatever you're feeling. As we create a prayer wall that's going to beautify our sanctuary, but be a place where people can come in the future and bring their prayers to God. So take some moments now and, and write your prayers. And when finished, if you would come and place them here at the prayer rail, and if you uh, don't have access to this, you can hand it to someone in the pew and they can bring it forward for you. So let's write our prayers to God now. What is the prayer you need to write to God?